Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, the creator of Jumpstart, a course to help you wake up and start living your best life. I'm also the creator of the Women in Japan Mastermind. So today I have an interview for you with Laura Marushima. So Laura is an Australian woman who's been living in Japan nearly as long as me. Uh, <laughs> I think she must be at 15 years, I think, and off and on, she said. And she lives uh, down in Chiba. She has three children and a business that she runs from home. So I really wanted to talk to Laura today and find out how does she make this work? Because I have two kids and I'm, you know, like two is plenty, but add another one into the mix. How does that work? Um, I know that her in-laws live very close by. How does that work with, um, you know, the relationship with in-laws and things? Um, anything that uh, we can sort of learn from other people that might give us some ideas about a great way to switch things up in your own life or to be inspired to try something new. So yeah, today's uh, today we talk a lot about you know just life in Japan as a mother of children who go to Japanese school, and you know how how she manages the whole PTA thing. You might be really worried about that if your kid is coming up to being um, you know to entering uh, Japanese primary or elementary school in the next year or two. Um, this is how it happens at her school. And, you know, from talking to her, I realized it's very different. It depends on what school you're at. Um, so, you know, it's really important to build those networks with um, other families in your neighborhood because they are going to be the people who you're going to be working with at the school um, that your kids are at in the future. We talk a little bit about, um, you know, why she decided to start working from home and her decisions around that and Laura's life hacks. Okay. So some of the things that she does just to keep things running smoothly at her, at her house. And as you can probably imagine, Laura's very organized. So even I was a bit blown away with, you know, just how organized she is to get things done. And that's very, very cool. So, you know, even if you're, you know, consider yourself disorganized, you know, what's one a one new hack or one new strategy that you could start that could make your life, you know, more organized. Um, recently, I've started um, not hanging up the washing. I gave myself, that's going to sound really like, not pathetic, but um, small, like a small thing, right? I gave myself permission to not hang up the washing anymore. So we actually have a washer dryer and during the winter here in, in this part of Japan, it's extremely, extremely dry. And we just in a constant battle to keep any moisture in the air. So one thing we do do is hang up washing in our living room because it's just dry in a matter of hours. Um, and so I quite, you know, now that we've progressed away from that extremely dry season, I decided now is the season to not hang up the washing anymore. It's okay. So I've started um, actually just using the dryer again, and I feel really good about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, why why did I feel like I couldn't use it? That's a question to ask myself. Yeah, and why did I feel like it was a good use of my, you know, 
of my time and my time is precious to actually spend it hanging up washing. Um, you know, I still hang up big things just to be, you know, to go on about it a bit, but like the things like towels, um, or, you know, big sheets and things, I do still hang those things up, but like fiddly little things like underwear and socks and all of those bits and pieces, they get dried in the, in the dryer and, yeah, it's a whole new world. <laughs> so anyway, I hope you enjoy um, the chat between Laura and me today. I hope you get some things out of it. And I'd love to hear your feedback. So come over to the podcast club and make sure you're in there. It's a Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group for um, people who are fans of the podcast. And I love to hear your feedback about, um, you know, or any messages for Laura that you have, any questions for Laura um, as well. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. Thanks so much for coming today. It's great to have you here. Hi, Jane. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here after listening to so many episodes. Oh, thank you for being a loyal listener. <laughs> and also, um, I'll just say now so that everybody knows, Laura actually helped me with my podcast for a few months there. So she has a, a knowledge of the background of the podcasting world and it's very cool to have you on an episode and especially since the first time I asked you you were like yeah no <laughs> I don't really want to be on yeah. and then and then you came back and you said actually I will give it a go and so I was really excited that you did that so thanks for um stepping up there and and giving it a go today no problems at all yeah I'm not I don't like talking in front of an audience, but since I can't see the audience, <laughs> we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, for people who do not know who Laura is, yeah, please tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you came to be here in Japan. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Brisbane, Australia, um, but I have no immediate family left in Brisbane anymore. My mum is further north in Budrum and my brother is in Melbourne. And I've been in Japan since 2004, on and off since 2004. And um, I originally came to Japan as an exchange student when I was 19 um, at a university in Tokyo. And uh, how I came to Japan originally was actually that uh, when I went off to university um, in Australia, we sort of put a couple of different choices down of what we want to do. And um, I didn't get into my first choice. And so the, one of the choices I had was like, okay, well, you can go in through and do um, an arts degree with a, a double major. And so I chose Japanese as one of my um, majors. And that's how I ended up in Japan in my second year of university. So you um, just were like, oh, okay, I'll do Japanese or? <laughs> so, uh, in my last year of high school, uh, we had a Japanese exchange student that was at our high school for a year named uh, Kanako. And uh, her and I became really good friends. And I thought, oh, all right, well, I'll study Japanese a little bit because I want to go visit her someday. Um, and I'd actually planned to change my degree. I was only supposed to do that degree for a year. <laughs> and right. then so it's quite easy to change after six months or a year if uh, your GPA is up. So the plan was actually never to finish the degree I started. Okay. <laughs> and the, so which meant I never actually planned on doing a full 
degree in Japanese and my other major was in public relations with a minor in journalism actually and I yeah so I thought all right I'll give Japanese a go and when I arrived in Japan my Japanese was so bad I I couldn't order food like I mean I'd studied for a year but it was yeah basically non-existent and it's a uh, shock isn't it when you when you get you're like I know what I'm doing and no I don't (laughs) and like what they teach you at university in Australia is totally not useful for living a student life in Tokyo really um but so I came here and I loved it. I always thought I'd come back. And then six weeks before I was actually scheduled to go back to Australia, I met my husband. Right. And so I went back to Australia. Anyway, I had to go back to Australia to finish my degree. And so I went back, finished my degree. I So in Australia, uh, usually, firstly, it used to be in Queensland that you started university at 17. And most degrees were three years, sometimes four years. So my degree was three and a half years, which I finished in three years. And in my last year of university, I was working full-time while going to university full-time and had a part-time job in order to get enough money together to move back to Japan after I finished university. Wow. So you somehow created a time slip so that you could do all of those things at the same time. I don't know. How, how did you? <laughs> oh, well, I think when you're in, by the time you get to third year university, they like pretty much let you manage your own schedule. And some classes you get graded on attendance. Okay. So if you don't go to every lecture or if you don't go to 80% of the lectures, they will fail you. And some classes, uh, for example, like Japanese class, as long as you pass the exams, Uh, you didn't actually have to attend class. Okay. And so I took Japanese, by my third year, I took Japanese lower than the level I was speaking by then because I'd spent the year in Japan. And even though my Japanese was pretty crap to begin with, the year definitely brought it up. And so I basically went into a Japanese class that was way below my level, never went to class, but got 90 and above on the exams. So... Right. I finished yeah. university with a GPA of like some, it's, it's out of seven. I think it was like 6.8. And it was my Japanese in my final year of university that definitely pulled up my right. GPA. And so, um, yes. And so I had wanted to go to Europe as well. So that was why I was like kind of working frantically because I finished university I went to Europe for two months and then I ended up back in Japan and that time I had a working holiday visa. So because Australians can stay in Japan for up to 18 months usually on a working holiday visa, I'd used a student visa already Um, and I was still young enough to take the working holiday visa. So that's how I ended up back in Japan and um, I was still with my boyfriend at the time and after I'd been back in Japan, we moved in together about three months after I got back here. And what were you doing then? Were you teaching English or? Oh, well, originally when I came back to Japan, I was doing an internship with a publishing company um, called Been Abroad. So I don't know, some people might know Caroline Pova. She um, was running a publishing company and a group for women in Tokyo. Um, she did quite a bit after the earthquake as well for the people of Tohoku. 
Um, she's based back in the UK now, but I was doing an internship there and teaching part-time. And then I started working full-time for being abroad. And then I finished up there and went back to teaching full-time in an international preschool. And then I did that for a couple of years before we decided to go back to Australia and spend a year in Australia. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2008. So my husband, we weren't married then, but my husband came to Australia for the year and um, we got married in Australia and then we moved back to Japan in 2009. So we've been back here permanently since 2009. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> lots of things, you pack lots of things into a short time. <laughs> a short period of time. Of it. Yeah. Oh, very good. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do these days. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I was still teaching when we left Japan in 2008. And then when I came back in 2009, after we got married, I was uh, already pregnant with my oldest, who's nine now. And I have three boys. So I've got a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and my youngest, Georgie, is almost five. And I was working part-time teaching um, a couple of private lessons when they were younger. Uh, I was teaching on Saturdays, uh, kids classes in the area that I was living and my husband was watching the kids. And um, basically when Georgie was born, my husband was like, yeah, there's no way I'm watching three on a Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was a bit too much for him. And so I was still teaching on the weekdays and taking Georgie with me um, when he was small like I I, I had a couple of classes where I was teaching with him on my back (laughs) in like an ergo and um basically when he was about eight months old I decided that I needed to work more but I needed to work I guess more effectively so that I could spend time with my family and not be working on the weekends and um so I put some of the tools, I guess, tools and skills that I had from when I was working in Australia, which I didn't mention that, but when I worked in Australia, when I was a university student and the year that I was back, I was working as an executive assistant to uh, the director of like Queensland transport mm-hmm. um, in the travel smart program. One of the, that one of the roles I had was that. And then before that it was at the university as a student, what do you call medical student liaison officer. Mm-hmm. I'm helping them organize their schedules for doing their prac work in hospitals. And um, so I decided to put some of those skills to use and I started an administrating consulting business. So basically I help Japan based entrepreneurs get organized so that they can run their businesses smoothly and more efficiently and helps uh, like free up their time so that they can focus on the things that they enjoy over the things that they don't really enjoy doing I guess. Uh, or things that are going to take them a lot of time when it might take someone like me less time or I might be able to do it a little bit more effectively so that they can focus on I guess the things that will bring money into their business and growing their business so um, and I do that there's I I guess I'm like a Jill of all trades. I do a lot of different things for different clients. Um, like, I guess, like Jane mentioned, I helped her with her podcast. Um, well, it's like six months ago now, Jane. That's Probably, about six months. yeah. So about six months ago, I helped Jane for a couple of months with her podcast. And 
not the actual making of the podcast, but getting it online and the social media side of things and the show notes and the social media graphics and all of those kind of things. And, and that was the first time I've done anything like that really with a podcast. I've done a little bit of podcasting for another client, but um, that was more than I'd done before. And I guess, yeah, I helped scheduling. Sometimes I do some website design. Sometimes I set up systems so that um, like for their newsletter or their social media or uh, well, lots of different things really. Mm. uh, Those backgroundy fiddly jobs that nobody really wants to do and they take up time and you don't realize it really. It all adds up, doesn't it? Stuff that will help grow your business more. So yes, and so I started the business four years ago in four years ago this past March. So I've been doing it and it's steadily grown. Um, I guess steadily grown over the last couple of years. Um, more so since I've had my youngest in school full time. So when he was younger, I was working during nap time and at night and making it work with that. And then. Uh, Nearly two years ago, he went into school five days a week. So um, before that, he was at an international preschool two days a week. Uh, so, yeah, it, that's, it's grown a lot more in the last two years because I've had a lot more time to devote to clients and growing the business. Yeah, it definitely helps having access to that childcare Yes, definitely. Um, so you can do things instead of having to, yes, yeah, slot it in between when people are having naps or uh, <laughs> at night after they've gone to bed. And uh. Yes, so I did a lot of work at night and I basically kept my kids on a really, I guess some would say very strict schedule. I think and up until my oldest was seven, so he's nine, no, must have been six when he started primary school. Uh, I was I was getting my kids into bed at six thirty and they were asleep by like six forty. Hours at night, so uh, obviously that meant for early mornings. Yeah, but I had them on a pretty strict schedule, I guess, so that I could fit in work. That sounds familiar. Like my kids are the same. Like my four year olds in bed at seven, and my soon to be eight year old is sort of seven forty five, definitely by eight o'clock. Um, even now because I'm just done, you know, like with the parenting aspect of things by eight o'clock, I'm like, I need to just go and get in the bath and wind down myself so that I can sleep. And I don't mind if the kids get up at like 5.45 or 6 a.m. because I'm a morning person myself. But yeah, by by an evening, I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm I'm a morning person too, but by the time, yeah. Yeah. uh, Because my youngest is nearly five I still get all three up into their rooms to settle for bed by seven or seven fifteen most nights the schedule this year has changed a little bit with my oldest because he on Mondays I think like he has soccer until eight um so the if I get the younger two into their room and then my the middle one will read with the lights on until I go turn off his light which could be any time between seven thirty and eight but um my youngest doesn't realise that they read. Right, <laughs> yet. Yeah, he's not in the know, <laughs> thankfully. They that they're reading in their rooms or <laughs> doing some homework um, after he goes to bed at like 7 or 7.10. So I read to him in his room and then um, 
I say goodnight and I turn out his light and he goes to sleep. <laughs> and the older two know that if they are noisy while they're reading or if they muck around, then their lights go off. <laughs> so yep. they're pretty good about being quiet up in their rooms because they know if they disturb Georgie that I'll be like, yeah. Be <laughs> pay, yeah. <laughs> it's time for you to go to bed. Doesn't matter if it's like 10 past seven. So, um, and it's good for them, I guess, to have that time to wind down. Uh, my oldest will sometimes spend it doing some extra homework, um, but my middle one is a big reader, um, especially in Japanese. But yeah, more more so in Japanese than English. But I'm I really enjoy the fact that he loves books so much. And even when things are crazy downstairs, because he's sort of the quieter one, um, he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go upstairs and read now." <laughs> um, so just to get away from the noise, so yeah. he'll, he'll 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 head upstairs and. And um, yeah, just to get away from it because it is loud with three. It is. I can imagine it. it's horrifically loud with just two, and you know, <laughs> I can't imagine what a third one adds to the to the din in a house. Yeah. Oh, very good. So um, yeah, I like how you've got that built in um, quiet time, kids by themselves, and then they just sort of pop off to sleep, and you don't have to be there to police them or monitor them, but they're winding themselves down and. And reading, you know, doing relaxing activities. That's yeah, the cool. older two have always been really good. The youngest one, um, for the longest time, he would, he'd like me to stay with him in his room until he fell asleep or it took a while for him to get into the routine of sleeping by himself, which is so strange because the older two were always like, I'd be like, even if it was like 6.30 when they'd go to bed early, I'd just go and be like, okay, good night, turn off the light and leave. And I'd never heard from them until the next morning. Um, even now, my youngest will wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and he won't leave his bed. He'll call out for me until I come to bed. <laughs> even though he's just in a regular bed and he can get out and he can come down the hallway and come into bed with us if he wants to, he will not leave his room. He'll just call out, mama, 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 until someone comes and gets him. Right. And sometimes it's not me. If I don't hear, I think sometimes he wakes up his older brother and the older brother will go and get him and bring him into bed with him. <laughs> so, right. so, yeah, sometimes it's not even me. So, um, you know, as, as sort of my senpai with the whole um, Japanese primary school thing, um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about some of the interesting things you've noticed of having, you know, like how you're... Um, life has changed in Japan once kids have started school. So I was really lucky with our yotchi in the kindergarten that they didn't really have PTA. Um, they do have what they call yaku, and so I guess it's like class leaders. Um, but I've never been asked to do it, and I'm hoping that I'm never asked. To do it. <laughs> that is like a year long role sometimes, and like it really seems a little bit ridiculous because I'll see them go in in the morning and then at like pickup time. Um, they're still there having like meetings for like, so it's five hours and it's like, well, what, you can't do anything. Like no. <laughs> I couldn't do that at the same time. So um, I've been pretty lucky with the, yeah, I haven't been asked. I could be asked next year when George is in his last year of kindergarten, but I don't think, I think I've, I've sort of set it up so that they know because I use, as well because our kindergarten is more like what they call like a kodomoen. So the hours are actually from eight till five thirty if we need to use them. Um we have lunch provided for the kids four days a week. So I only have to make Georgie's lunch one day a week. And usually that's Wednesday. And so um 
the rest of the time his food is provided and I can put him in earlier or later if I need to. And because I use that system quite a bit, I think they realise that asking me to be on the PTA for the kindergarten is probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been pretty good at saying that. However, with um, primary school here, it's quite difficult to get out of it or if you do get out of it, I guess it's quite frowned upon and I guess I get the feeling that you'd be talked about quite a bit if you just completely avoided it all of the time and uh, my husband grew up in this community and everyone sort of knows who I am um, and they know my kids and we're quite heavily involved in soccer with the school so we sent we tend to know a lot of people so I kind of avoided the PTA like big jobs when they were in the younger grades um, because I still had Georgie at home as well. And I was trying to work around that. But um, in the last two years, I've been on the PTA. Last year was for my middle son, Shion. His, I was what they call Hokkien, which I guess is, they, they seem to call the roles different things at school, but at, at different schools, they'd change the names of what they call it. But for that, I had to like go fix their lunch set uniforms like three times a year. So that was like sewing in elastic in the hats if the elastic had gotten loose or fixing the drawstrings on the bags that hold the, they call it like, I think it's kapogi, like the little like mop <laughs> yep. that they wear over when they're serving the food at lunchtime. Like if a button had come loose. So three times a year I had to do that. Two times I had to go like help clean out around the outside of the school, like up the leaves. And one time I had to go and help during the health checks for school. So that could be like when the dentist comes to check their teeth or when the ear, nose and throat doctor comes to check their uh, ears or their noses and they do this. And then some like, if you get like a red mark on the little card, then you have to go have a follow up with a different doctor. So, um, and if you don't do that, then they won't let you do swimming in the summer. So, I mean, and they like, they do lots of different tests, usually in the first six weeks of school. So I think all of our tests so will be in early May after golden week. Mm. So that was my role last year. And that apparently is one of the easier roles. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> and then this year when I went, I had no intention of doing PTA this year, um, but I still haven't done, hadn't done it for my oldest son, one of the bigger positions anyway. And um, I mean, when I say one of the bigger positions, it's like a point-based system. You can help with like the summer festival or you can do like morning patrol or afternoon patrol when the kids are going or going going home from school to make sure that they're walking safely or don't have any issues or like if there's cars coming you sort of say oh there's a car coming behind you uh and they also have what they call yomikikase which is when you go to the school and read to the students mm. so even when they were in the younger grades they always did either patrol which is once a month um, for like 20 minutes and I also did reading to the students in both of their classes and that's two or three times a year on a Friday for like 10 minutes right. and I always go and read in English anyway so it was never really a big issue for me anyway mm. um, and timing wise I could take Georgie if he didn't have early morning kindergarten that day so that was fine that they don't actually count for anything like you could do right. that six years it. but it's not in your <laughs> I see. And so technically you have to do PTA for each child two times with one of the big positions. However, I have heard if you do it one time for each child, but you've done something small every other year, 
like the patrol or the reading, then they might not bother you when it gets to grade six and they don't have enough people if they look at it. Because you have to fill it in every year. So they can basically pull up what you've done. Really? Oh. Every year we fill it in to say what we did this year and they cross-check it. Mm. So with my oh, old... God, it sounds quite, quite <laughs> like... It's very... <laughs> very <laughs> um, and like it feels a little bit big brother in that they know... Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking. I'm big brotherish. If you've yeah. done it before. So with my oldest this year, I had no intention of doing it, but I went to the parents' meeting and... I just felt really bad for the teacher because nobody was volunteering. Mm. The meeting was never going to end. And one of the jobs that nobody, there's a couple of jobs that people will, firstly, there's a couple of jobs I can't do. Like there's like a class newsletter. I can't do that because I can't write in native Japanese. Yeah. And they write them by hand. So that was definitely out um, <laughs> for me. So there's some roles that I can't even physically do. So one of the roles that is that they really find hard to fill is what they call SOMU, which is basically every month children bring home a money envelope and you put in the cost of the PTA, for example, in the first month of the year. And every other month you might've had like a little bit, like if they'd gone on an excursion, the cost will go in that money envelope the following month. And you get told at the beginning of the month, how much it's going to be it comes home on the newsletter and then they bring the envelope home the day before you need to put the money in and you need to put in the exact change <laughs> so you need to remember that they're bringing it home because by the time they come over from school banks are closed yeah <laughs> so you've got to remember in advance to do it and sometimes it's quite a lot of money it's like ten thousand yen or something isn't it or well six thousand yen or something shouldn't be it is but it shouldn't be because usually uh school lunch uh what we call kyushoku is taken out of the bank um but our school has decided to change it up this year and now our lunch fee also comes in this little money envelope so yesterday i sent my kids to school one of them with 10,400 yen and the other one with 4,400 yen mm. and you just put the money in an envelope in their backpack and you send them off to school and everyone in the community knows that it's shukimbi like everyone that lives around here knows that the day that the kids have the money in the envelope is usually the second Tuesday of the month. <laughs> this month is a bit different because uh, school had started obviously back in April. Um, and so they go off to school with the money. And now this year I'm one of those people, the people that counts the money. So mm. <laughs> every second Tuesday I will be at the school counting the money for the fourth grade class, uh, 32 students and you have to do it in pairs because you both have to count the money and then you have to stamp the envelope and then you have to stamp the other paper with to say that the money is there. And then you have to count up the money and let them know how many 10,000 yen notes there are, how many 5,000 yen notes there are, how many thousand yen notes there are, and then all of the coins. Right. This month was an even number. Like for, it was for my, his class, it was 10,400. If they were an older child, if they were the second child in the family, it was 7,400. Mm -hmm. So you don't have like some months it's like 4,236 yen. Oh my God. And so <laughs> it was actually not so bad on the counting scale of things, but right. it's going to be my job this year where I go um, every month and uh, it takes about an hour um, 8.30, so if we collect the money at 8.30, I should be done by 
if there's no problems. So obviously if someone overpays or if someone doesn't pay enough or if someone completely forgets, then you have to make notes for the teacher or put the change in little envelopes and write their names mm -hmm. on it and send it back. And um, because you do it in pairs, there's actually three of us this year. So for, from grade four onwards, they do in three, but you only need two people each time except in April and October. For some reason, those two months, there's a lot more money. So they want three people. Right. Just so, keep it all above board. Yeah. So I think actually this year I only have to go seven times. Right. But technically this job also involves helping with the summer festival and the autumn festival. But I'm not here this summer, which is why I've never volunteered for this job before because I didn't want to cause yeah. other people stress in the fact that you know but now that it's three people this year and absolutely nobody was volunteering and i just wanted to leave mm -hmm. um i said i would do it and when i left they still hadn't decided the other two people that would be doing it with me but i had to go to my other son's class meeting as well so yeah um which they put at the same time which makes it hard for parents yeah when my oldest is in sixth grade i'll have three in the primary school at one time and all of the parent meetings are at the exact same time yeah you have to sort of run between them don't you, <laughs> you have to run between them. And, um, so that's always fun. <laughs> so i think there'll be one year when i have like parent teacher parent meetings will be yeah i have to go to all three so i just yeah i just really wanted to hear your um experience because i know every school's different um, and you know, as a foreigner coming into, you know, when your kids start primary school, it's like, how does this work? And what's the truth? And what's just rumors that people say, because at my school, um, my daughter's school, we don't have the same sort of things as you've just mentioned. We have some different sort of roles and things. Um, and the, the sort of the rule is that it's, you must volunteer for a major PTA role once per child during their school time. And um, have you done it yet? No, because uh, well, last year was the first grade, right? So I was like, well, I don't know what's going on here. I'm hardly gonna <laughs> do it. And that was like first grade. Loads of people were like, yeah, I want to get it done. I want to get out of the way. This sure. year, it was a huge like queue of people who wanted to do it. It was like 15 people volunteered, and I was like, well, I'm kind of someone who's a bit more flexible, so I'll just not volunteer like i'm not gonna put my hand up this year there's already 15 people who are desperate to do it this year and they had to do junk in right they had to like like nobody was backing down nobody was like oh okay i won't do it this year <laughs> it was really weird and finally after a massive round of junk in um rock scissors paper it was decided who the four, lucky four people were and they were all like congratulating each other like yay we got on the pda <laughs> i was like that's so weird this is so weird like <laughs> there's only four roles well, there's only four roles per class yeah okay so, so in this year the roles for fourth grade because you have three four five six seven eight nine Ten. There's ten PTA roles that need. Yeah, to be so our school was just like it's a new school. Okay. Um, as in, it's only been around for like fifteen years or something, maybe. So, um, I think we sort of get away off. We get off lightly, let's just say, with the kind of roles there are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's none of this hangover from like ancient times where the mothers. You don't have money envelopes, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, we don't have money envelopes. Well. No, I almost never send money to school with my daughter. It which, all just comes out of our bank account once yeah, a month. which makes more sense, really. It's so much safer and traceable and, you know, 
I'm a, I was really shocked to hear that they were not going to be taking the lunch money out of the bank anymore, to be honest. Like, they've gone backwards. Like, why? Yeah. I yeah. just don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, there's all sorts of different things with the PTA. Um, <clears throat> I have been warned that you should do it earlier rather than later because the older your kids get, the more the more stuff that your, your grade has going on and the more and that's you'll be the same at our school I'm, I'm trying my best to avoid sixth grade and I think because Georgie will be first grade when Noah's sixth grade I'm just not going to go to his parent Noah's parent teacher meeting at all <laughs> yeah so when they decide the roles I'm going to go to first grade and all of the parents that have kids going through for the first time won't know what's going on Exactly. It's your chance to take advantage of I'm knowing first grade for Georgie, because then I can say to the sixth grade, yes, yeah, sorry, I can't. Yeah. Because he exactly. can't do two major PTA roles. In right. Second. And you can't do two grades at once, surely. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to get a role in first grade and to avoid sixth grade. I've got yeah. that. And <laughs> really, this is like in four years time. No, it's not that low. It's like another two and a half. It, nearly three years but I've already planned out how I'm doing it so that I can avoid doing it in sixth grade and not sure how I'm going to avoid doing Xion in sixth grade but I figure if I do his one more time maybe next year or the year later then I can avoid his grade in sixth grade as well yeah yeah get out of the way that's, that's my aim is to avoid and I don't think they're going to ask me to be like top of sixth grade or like one of the class leaders overall like they choose one person a year for each grade. I okay. doubt they give me a call for that. <laughs> so I, I think I can avoid that. So yeah. at least that's one thing. Yeah, well, it's awesome to hear, you know, like that you, you know, you're not Japanese, but you're still contributing to your kids' school in a useful way, even though, you know, we may sort of like... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it useful, but... And, I, yeah, they, I might be like going, why are we doing this? But I'm doing this, okay. They see it as useful. The, the school yeah. does. I don't... I personally don't see it exactly. as Exactly. That's the thing. Like, but you're still doing it and it's working. And so it's possible for us foreigners to take part and, you know, be part of our kids' schools and work and have three kids and you know somehow it's all happening right so tell us how do you make it work um you know balancing you said your kids do soccer um you know you do your pga roles you've got your business that you work you know from home how does this all function given that you're in japan and yeah. yeah, well, one of the reasons I started my business was that we live in Chiba, so it's just outside of Tokyo. So um, Itogawa River separates Tokyo and Chiba, and we live on the Chiba side of the Itogawa River, but only about four kilometres from the river. I think four kilometres away, we're technically in Tokyo. Right. And however, after the earthquake um, in 2011, um, I didn't feel that I could commute to work in Tokyo right. at the time I only had two kids, but I just didn't feel, I didn't want to be commuting for work because my husband already commutes for work uh, and into Tokyo for work. So I was just really concerned about if they were going to daycare and we were both working in Tokyo and there was another big disaster that we wouldn't be able to get home. And I was just really always worried about that. And so I didn't want to have to commute for work, at least not every day. And so I wanted to create something that was more flexible that I could fit in around my family um, while also bringing in 
income to contribute to obviously contribute to our family. But I, with three as well, by this stage I had three after when I started the business, um, I knew I needed to be somewhat flexible because they weren't in daycare. They were in kindergarten, which is shorter hours. Mm. Um, and at that stage I wasn't working enough to apply for daycare. Um, because you've got to be working full time basically to get a spot in daycare. So with Georgie, when it came time, we could have put him in daycare, um, but it actually was going to end up more expensive for us because it's income based and uh, yes, it was going to, but, but we get a rebate if he goes to a private kindergarten. So when you looked at the rebate and the cap on my after school care fees, if I was working, it's actually cheaper for us to have him in kindergarten than it is to have him in daycare. Mm. Um, although of course, if you're commuting, you'd need daycare because of the longer hours every day, yeah. every day. Like if you weren't going to get back until six thirty. um, obviously our kindergarten, the after school care finishes at five thirty. but if you're commuting into Tokyo, it would take me an hour to get home. So I'd have to leave by 4.30 in order to get him by 5.30, which is not considered a full-time role. No. So um, I knew I needed something flexible. And so when I created the business and started, um, I guess I knew it needed to work with our family. So how we manage that is that my husband commutes in. I work from home. I still take on most of the child rearing responsibilities I guess and I fit in my work around the kids schedule um but I'm a fairly organized person so so I yeah I usually get my kids off to school I then do a couple of hours work I make dinner while I'm eating my lunch so, which means I'm making dinner every night around 12, 1230, depending on my work schedule. If I'm working from home, obviously sometimes I have to go into Tokyo for meetings or I have meetings over lunch, but basically lunch, dinner is always done before my first child comes home from school. Right. So it's always done. If I know I'm not going to have time to do it. Then I know I have to make something the day before that will cover two meals mm. or have something in the freezer that's going to work. So I plan out the menu in advance. So I plan out the menu on the weekend. I do the shopping on a Sunday. Usually sometimes I'll do it on a Monday, but usually I try to get it done on a Sunday and the whole week is planned out. I have it on the calendar as well. Like if the kids need lunch um, on the weekends, if they need to have rice balls or onigiri for um, soccer, then I know obviously that the Friday night dinner needs to have, something with rice so that I can make it. So I do plan out ahead. And so, and like I said, dinner's always done before the first kid comes home from school. And if someone is off sick, then I sort of like, if they're sick and they're resting, then I still work from home. I can still work even if they're homesick. Um, on holidays, I have after school care for the older two. So they go to what's called Gakudo. So on summer break, um, they would go off to Gakudo at eight and they'd usually come home at four or four thirty, So I could work as normal when they were younger. I didn't have that. So I was working less hours on spring break, summer break and winter break. But, um, now that they're in after school care, I don't have to worry about that as much. Mm. And it definitely takes a village. We're very lucky in that I live next door to my 
husband's parents. So my in-laws live next door. So this is, mm, <laughs> this, this has some benefit. This has a lot of benefits and obviously living so close to in-laws, you know, as you can see, there's some not so great things about that. Sure. But while my kids have been young, it's the benefits have definitely outweighed the cons, I guess, like the pros of it. Because um, if I have to take one to something after school, um, and I know my in-laws are going to be home. I can leave the other two here or they can go there and watch TV or they can play. Our garden is shared. So if they're playing in the garden, my mother-in-law can watch them from her living room. Right. And I can watch them from my living room. Mm-hmm. So, and we have, I mean, it's small, <laughs> but Japan standards, it's probably considered big, but in, in this area, I guess, but by Australian standards, our garden sure. is tiny. Yeah. But, um, but it's safe. And even actually on the road in front of our house is we have next to no traffic. So, um, they play soccer out on the street. Um, if they're out on the street, the older two are fine to go out by themselves. If Georgie's gone out too, if the older two are there and the window's open, I'm not too concerned. But um, they basically are allowed to go play on the street if I'm home. And even if I'm working from the living room, I can hear them from the kitchen window. So um, they're fine to play outside. But it definitely takes a village in that if I didn't have my mother-in-law, um, around to watch the other two or one when I need to take the other one somewhere or even when they're sick. Like you really don't want to have to take all three kids to the doctor when only one kid is sick. Oh, definitely not. Um, it's just, yeah. So it's really great from that point of view. As they get older and um, as the kids get older, um, it'll be interesting to see how things, I guess, mm, all changes. Yeah. Yes. So, which I kind of saw how this would work uh, just over a year ago when my father-in-law had a stroke and my mother-in-law broke her leg on the same day. Oh, my God. And so, um, obviously, then my mother-in-law couldn't drive because she had a broken leg and she doesn't like driving anyway um, or ride her bike. Um, So, they relied on me a lot because, obviously, she needed to go to the hospital um, to see father-in-law. Um, And we were really lucky. His stroke, it only affected his speech. He didn't have any mobility issues. He did lose his driver's licence for six months while he recovered, but he was home within two weeks and he hasn't had any reoccurrences. Mm. Um, His speech is still slightly affected, like in that when he talks, sometimes the right words don't come out. But as a non-native speaker, I don't actually notice. much more annoying for my struggling. <laughs> it's much more annoying for him or my husband and my mother-in-law trying to like but it seems to me it seems to have gotten a lot better like when he first came out of the hospital he called all three of the boys by the same name mm-hmm. he, he called he called all of them georgie which is the youngest name and he knew that he was getting it wrong it's just the right name didn't come out mm. but that's gotten a lot better and um they seem healthy now um and that's good. But yeah, that was kind of a glimpse of what things would be like as they get older, because even though my husband is not the oldest son, we are the ones that live next to my in-laws. Yes. And um, I guess the oldest son lives in the same city as us, um, but his wife doesn't drive and, um, and he drives, but they don't have a car. So 
it kind of falls <laughs> tricky right i mean he can borrow a car from his um i guess his wife's family I, I know that they live close to them but yeah it basically if my husband's commuting into tokyo even though i work from home it's like well you're home though so mm-hmm. you're there yeah yes. Convenient. So, um, but they're pretty they're pretty good and they help out so much with the kids um even if like one of them's sick and I have a client call that I've already scheduled. And my, if my mother-in-law has no plans, she'll take the sick kid to the doctor for me, knowing that I have to work. So yeah. that I don't, if I've got to work, or if I've had to, I've scheduled something in Tokyo and um, like the middle one has asthma and can't go to school. So he's not contagious or anything. He just can't go. Mm. Um, and it's happy. He's fine to like hang out, do homework, watch TV. Um, I know that I can leave him with my mother-in-law if she has no plans and still go into Tokyo to make my meetings or whatever, which is really good. And we're really lucky like that. Like I know that a lot of working parents don't have that or in-laws are too far away or obviously if they're both non-Japanese, obviously they don't have family here. Um, so I know that we're really lucky and I guess it takes a village to make sure things move smoothly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and I'm really strict about the kids' bedtimes as well. I used to work a lot at night. So right. now it's a bit harder as they get older. So I'm trying not to work at night and fit everything in during the day. So I plan out the week in advance, usually on a Sunday. So I know when I'll be working and when I won't be working. And I guess I plan accordingly with that. Mm-hmm. Can I just go back one step and ask you something? And this is, you know, we were just talking about the in-laws and your relationship with them and how they help out. Um, Because, you know, I know a lot of the listeners, you know, are dealing with their relationship with their in-laws and not all of them seem, you know, are as potentially as good as the one that you have with yours, right? What would you say is the thing that contributes to, you know, a reasonable relationship between you guys? Um, well, my mother-in-law will tell me what she thinks and I will say, mm, so kana, and then do what I want. <laughs> right. <laughs> like when she comments that they might need an extra layer of clothing when they're going to school and I'm like, oh yeah, maybe. And then I still don't give them a jacket because it's like 25 degrees. Um, <laughs> so right. I guess what it is, I kind of avoid confrontation with my mother-in-law as best as I can. And yeah. she totally knows I'm doing it. And she knows I'm doing it because up until two years ago, she lived next door to her mother-in-law. Right. And she dealt with, so this is my grandmother-in-law. Mm-hmm. She lived behind us until two years ago. Okay. Um, but, um, and I, I know that my mother-in-law did the exact same thing with her mother-in-law. Like, Oh, you saw it yourself, right? <laughs> like she, You're like, okay, so now she's getting some back, she right? Knows, and she knows I'm doing it. Right. Because I acknowledge the fact that she's made the comment and I don't outright say, yeah, that's stupid or right. <laughs> that yeah. you're no, not going to do that. <laughs> Obviously, there are some times when we do have confrontation and apparently... And my husband will attest to this. Um, I'm a lot meaner in Japanese than I am in English. Right. Apparently, yeah. apparently I'm, yeah, I can definitely hold my own in an argument in Japanese more so than I can in English. I think. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, so when, when she's pissed me off really badly, she knows. <laughs> um, but <laughs> definitely, yeah, she definitely knows and she definitely 
and I guess in the same way that, yeah, I don't know. My husband kind of stays out of it, but there will be certain things that he's had to sort of get involved in because it's like, it's gotten to the point where it's like, yes, but you are not their mother. Yeah. And so it does come down to that sometimes, but I think as the kids get older and I've lived here longer, um, we have less of that now. I think when they were younger, it was like, you know, who gives a kid an ice cream at five o'clock? Yeah. When they're going to eat dinner. Like, you know, just because they ask for it yeah. doesn't mean that you need to give it to them. Yeah. Um, and things like that. Um, I think it happens all over the world, right? But generally the grandparents are only there in town for a week or something, you know, yeah. whereas Japan is yeah. always there. Yeah. But my kids know that if I've said no to something, that if they go next door, she'll probably say yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think she's learnt now as well after like numerous times of the same sort of thing happening that she should really ask me if they've asked me and what my response was yeah. <laughs> before. Mm. But my, my oldest son is very, I don't want to say manipulative, but he is. He <laughs> um, <laughs> the situation to get what he wants. Yeah. And if he doesn't get it from me, he'll go to daddy. And if he doesn't get it from daddy, he'll go to grandma. Right. And being the oldest grandchild and a grandson, um, he, he definitely knows how to play the situation because he knows that they will basically give him what he asks for. Right. Um, and so we have to be really careful with that. And my mother-in-law has learned that I, I, I think it took her a long while to realize that he was actually manipulating her. Sure. <laughs> Like we could see it happening, but, and we would tell her and she's like, no, no, he's just so sweet. And you know, (laughs) he's playing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think she realizes that now, like she's, it's definitely gotten better in the last year, I think with the oldest, because up until then he was like little and cute and, you know, you know, and as he gets older, um, she's definitely realizing that, yeah, he's playing her as well. Like, he knows he can't play me and he's gotten mm-hmm. to the point where he also can't play daddy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but he could still play grandma for the longest time, but it's gotten much better. <laughs> <laughs> and I think so, because she realized it as well, but yeah, my basic, my advice to anyone that's going to live with their in-laws is agree with what your mother-in-law says to the extent that you're like acknowledging that she said what she said, unless it's completely ridiculous. Um, and then do what you want to do. Yeah, not necessarily what she's told you you should do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, um, like obviously I don't live with my in-laws. They live a thousand kilometers away, and I'm I'm kind of grateful for that. In that, um, you know, we don't need to have these discussions every day about who's doing what. But when we do go to visit, it can be tricky. In that, yeah, like we have the the kids manipulating the grandparents and having ice cream three times a day and things like that and um i'm like okay it's only for for two more days it's only for two more days short term it's kind of easy to sort of yeah it's only for two more days yeah yeah, if it's every day yeah you have to have some boundaries right or some limits or something yeah definitely yeah, and for those people who are listening, you're like, yeah, well, I don't have any in-laws and I don't have any relatives. And I'm, well, my advice would be definitely, as Laura said, build your village, create your own village of people who support you, who are around you. And don't be shy about asking people for help, especially like here where I live. We don't have any relatives at all. It's just neighbors and friends who I call on when I need to. 
but I found that, you know, now after several years of, well, we've lived here for nearly nine years in this house, that my neighbors across the street from us, like is they, any time of the day, they'll take in one of my kids if I need them for something, you know, like they're just like, yep, there's generally at least one person at home, um, a grandma or a granddad or a, like, you know, a f sort of older relative is generally in the house. So, um, but yesterday I was out um, recording a radio show, right? And it went way over the time that I thought, and I was late getting home. My daughter came home from school when I wasn't there, but we have a rule like, you know, if I'm not there, you hang your hat on the door so that I know that you've come home and then you go across the street. And if there's nobody there, then you go around to your friend so-and-so's house because generally his mother's home. Um, that's the rule we have. And so she just wandered across the street and was having a great time <laughs> having afternoon tea. And I think I was 10 minutes late. She was only there for 10 minutes before I got home. Okay. And um, I was like, I should have just taken longer. She would have had a lovely time. With <laughs> yeah, no. No, I got home too soon. Um, we have but... a neighbor next to us too that I know would, um, they're younger than my in-laws, um, but they don't have any grandchildren yet. And yeah. um, I know that, and they know that, and the boys know as well, that if no one's here and grandma and, and, and Baba and Gigi aren't here either, that they can go there and, and knock on the door and they'll let them play in their garden until they come home or inside the house. I don't know. They don't really have any toys or anything because they don't really, you know, but they're welcome to go there. And then we have another neighbor up the street who has two kids, one a year older than my oldest and one a year younger than my middle one. So they are in grade two, three, four, five right now. Um, and they, my kids know that they can also go there. Hmm. And um, it, like yesterday, I, I, I mean, I think I mentioned this to you earlier before our call, but um, the, the girl, the fifth grade girl was, she couldn't find her bus pass yesterday and she didn't have any change and her mum wasn't home and we were heading in the same direction. And so I said, that's fine. You can come on my, the back of my bike. And so um, like in Japan, when you're a mum, you, especially in this kind of area, you usually have two child seats on your bike. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> pretty so epic, right? It's a little bit big to be going on your mummy's bike, but <laughs> it's fine, I'll drop you off. Um, you know, just ring your mum. She had a, a, a kid's phone. Just ring your mum and say that you're not catching the bus and that you're coming with me so that she knows. And, um, and I gave her the change to catch the bus home. And um, even though uh, this morning when I came back from dropping off, I found a little envelope in my mailbox with the exact change that I gave her yesterday for the bus home. Right. <laughs> Obviously, she'd told her mum when she got home and her mum put it in the, the post last night after she got home. And she would have got home late. I think she was going to cram school. So I think she would have got home about 8.30. Mm, um, yeah. And so she must have told her mum then and her mum, because I've left early and I, they hadn't left yet this morning. So I'm pretty sure that the mum put it in last night. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the change for the bus because she couldn't, yeah, she didn't have a bus pass and she didn't have the change and she had to catch the bus home. Oh so God. yeah, so it does take a village. And I know that this mum would do the same for my kids if in the same situation. So um, yeah. Isn't it amazing that our kids can be catching buses to and from places at like eight o'clock at night or something? <laughs> That's why she doesn't ride her bike though. I let, I take my son um, and on his bike, but he goes on his bike yeah. and I drop, him and his friend off usually on Tuesdays and Fridays for, uh, for this. Um, and the friend's mum, she commutes into Tokyo for work. She picks them up at seven and they ride back here. Or if she's not going to make it back in time for work, she will get um, Noah's friend's older brother, who's in second year of junior high school now, um, to pick them up. 
Right. So he goes on his bike, meets them and brings them home and drops Noah at my house because it's dark by then. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine this happening in Australia. No, I right? can't imagine my kids catching a bus or a train by themselves. No. Um, and my kids still haven't done that yet, actually. But it would be completely normal for them to do so if they did. Yeah. And like even like where we live, like there's no public transport involved until kids go to high school yeah. um, where they have to leave the, the area to go and do that. But um, like everybody's watching um, and in a good way. I mean, like people, like the people who are, are around have got their eyes open and are actually looking out for the kids as yes. they go to and from school when they're playing after school. Um, you know, of course there's the odd Wally who drives his car too fast around the neighborhood and stuff. But um, generally like the people are, you know, are on duty you know like they're, they're looking out for the kids and so I know that and my you know everybody knows who my daughter is and where she lives and that so um yeah I sort of feel good that you know that's she's out and about with her friends that yeah that's definitely the same around here actually when my middle one was really small like we'd lived in this house since he was one so he was before two um I'd be upstairs hanging out the washing and even though the front door was locked um, I think that Noah would boost Shion up, unlock the door and let Shion out the door. <laughs> and we have a kindergarten close to us. It's not the kindergarten that my kids went to. It's about a hundred meters from us. And the kindergarten would sometimes see Shion. This is between age one and two wandering up the street with no shoes on. And they knew if he didn't have shoes on that, I didn't know he'd left the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of times that he was a real little escape artist. Um, a couple of times I would get like a doorbell and I would still be hanging out the washing, which means that it's been like five minutes because I'm yeah. hanging the washing out of soon. I'd hear the doorbell and I'd run downstairs and Noah would be playing on the floor. I'm like, where's Shion? And he, Noah's only a year older than Shion. Obviously he wasn't going to answer the question. Yeah. Um, he's like, yeah. And then I'd answer the door and then like a teacher from the local kindergarten would be holding Shion on her <laughs> with no shoes on saying, oh, he escaped again. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, okay, thank you. Oh and I think between the year one, between the ages of one and three, I took like so many thank you gifts to that Yotchi. <laughs> like every time they'd bring him home. Right. <laughs> because it's like that whole gift giving culture. It's like if someone does something for you, it's not, I guess, in your local community, it's not so big, but because they were a business, um, I would take like a little thank you <laughs> each month or something because they'd pay more and more um, to say, you know, thank you for finding my lost child again and bringing mm -hmm. him home again with no shoes. Um, <laughs> so everyone knows who my kids are. Mm -hmm. And like I said, they play out on the street and we don't have a lot of traffic, but there is some bike traffic and delivery trucks, like the Tuckyman trucks will sometimes use our street as well. But Anyone that sort of uses our street knows that there are probably kids playing out in the street and they're all really careful. Like if they're going to turn, they'll slow right down. And like, you know that they're aware that there are probably going to be kids playing on the street. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is, I guess, which, I mean, which is really good as well. Like they, you know, like you said, people are keeping an eye out for yes. everybody else's kids as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm noticing this a lot as my daughter's now in primary school and she can go and play with her friends after school and things, whereas before at kindergarten that never happened, right? Because 
um, usually have yeah, a, yeah the it's not the same, them. right? But mm-hmm. when they get to all their friends are suddenly like just around the corner or down the street. Um, yeah, the, the kids are out and about a lot more after school and things. So, yeah, we have like four or five kids in our garden most afternoons. Yeah, um, no, I totally understand. Yeah. Families, I'm like, where did you come from? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> because my anyway. kids go to after school care. So obviously by the time they come home, it's too late to go play with friends usually. Mm. Um, but on the weekends, then yeah. there's like no soccer or soccer finishes in the morning and then the afternoon is free. Um, you might have a whole soccer team. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you're good. Also, I've had like nine kids here. And, um, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. And they all come with their own drink bottles. They usually bring some snacks to share. They all have a time that they know that they need to be home by or they have to follow our rules about what time everyone needs to go home. So we have a rule that um, everyone needs to leave at 5 or by 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the kids have a rule that they don't have to be home until 5.30 or 6 in the summer. Mm. And, but they know that they need to leave here at five even if they go play somewhere else for an hour. <laughs> like, right. I was like, hey, hey, yeah, five o'clock, I, I need you to be gone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I'm done. laughs> so, um, but they're, yeah, they're pretty good. And, um, and they've made a lot of really good local friends, uh, I guess, you know, in the neighbourhood. So they, you know, they always have someone that they can play with. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to matter if they're not the same grade or whatever. It's just yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, like the, yeah. the local neighbours aren't in the same grade, but they're outside playing all the time, especially the grade two boy up the street will often play with George, my youngest, because he usually comes home a little bit earlier than his brothers. Mm. And um, so he actually has time to play outside on the street or in the garden. And um, Haruki, the boy up the street, he'll come knock on the door. He's like, can Georgie play? And there's like four years age difference between him between them but they don't care they have a great time yeah that's sweet isn't it yeah yeah and he, he's a really responsible kid more so than even my older two so i know that I can <laughs> yes of course yeah. you can yes yeah i love it yeah we are lucky um that it works like that around here as well and i really appreciate that because i noticed in you know in when we go to visit new zealand um it's not that free like you have to actually make a play date and then you know like it has to be sort of organized in advance nobody just shows up in your garden expecting to play (laughs) it's just um, it was totally acceptable for neighbors to do that but obviously we drove to school so you couldn't like uh, we had our my primary school was a 10 minute drive from our house right that's yeah it's a bit different isn't it an after school play date without planning it but Mm. you know we played with the neighbors in our street that were not necessarily at the same school as us um all the time like you know it was fine to go to neighbors houses unannounced and everything but yeah school friends like play dates and stuff really needed to be organized in advance mm, definitely so yeah well thank you for sharing like your slice of life in your part of japan how you make it work with your you know your three kids and your family dynamic and your you know your home business and things uh, sorry the business you do from home um because I think it really helps, you know, other women who are feeling, you know, am I doing this right? Or, you know, what could I be doing? You know, they're sort of wondering, um, and they're, where they, wherever they might be in Japan, um, you know, how they can make their life more interesting or, um, you know, do something different Then this might give them some ideas. Yeah. And to show that, you know, it, it's fun, right? We can enjoy this life in Japan. And it, I mean, it's hard <laughs> to sort of juggle everything. 
but um, I guess when you work from home and you do your own schedule, it is that little bit easier. Like I can make, obviously I can make allowances and go to PTA. Um, there are times when I can't go, like I have to let them know and say, look, I've got work, I can't. Um, but in general, if I know in advance something's going to be happening at school, then I can plan work around it. Or if one of the kids is sick, I can ask my mother-in-law to help out or they can hang out while I work. Because like I said, I work from home, so I don't usually have to go anywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. And there's so many different options out there that might work for different families. Um, but yeah, obviously it's still, yeah, it does take a village though. <laughs> it's <laughs> possible to do it by yourself. Yeah. So um, if you have been listening to Laura today and you're like, oh, I need Laura's help. Where can people get in touch with you, Laura? Well, uh, my surname is Marushima, M-A-R-U-S-H-I-M-A. -M -A, and um, if you search for me under Laura Marushima, it brings up my website. So, and my business is called Full Circle Consulting, but um, the web address is just my name. So easy to find there. Um, and I have a Facebook page as well. So yeah, there's like only one Laura Marushima. So if you search for me, I'm, yeah, it's not a very common name. Um, so Especially when yeah. you stick Laura in front of it. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yes. <laughs> so it'll, it'll come up pretty easily. I think if you, if you want to get in touch um, and if you, if you reach out, just let me know where you heard about me or yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure some people listening know who I am, but there'll be a lot of people. <laughs> so um, exactly. Yeah. So um, if you're perhaps starting a business and you need some help or um, maybe you've got a business up and running and you're looking to do a, a particular project or something, yeah. then yeah, maybe you you. get in touch. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today, Laura. It was so great uh, connecting with you and I hope to actually see you in person again soon. Yes. Somewhere. I hope to see you again soon. Are you maybe, um, one of the times that you're in Tokyo later this year, we can catch up. Yes, we well, yes, have to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was the interview with Laura Marushima. I hope you enjoyed that. And, you know, she had some really interesting you know, advice about how to deal with your mother-in-law, especially if she, if your mother-in-law lives near you. And so I think that was like really, really interesting. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously my mother-in-law does not live near me. I only see her, you know, about twice a year for a week or so each time. Um, but I think I'm going to actually take that on and try that out next time I'm with her because, um, I mean, generally she does, when it comes to something with the kids, she does let my sort of opinion rule the roost, you know. Um, but I've I have noticed myself getting annoyed with her in the past when she suggested something that I didn't agree with. So I'm gonna think I'm gonna try out Laura's strategy of just saying, mm, come on, or so so come on now, or <laughs> like maybe, and then just go and do what I think is best. <laughs> so um yeah, thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the show today and for, you know, sharing your hacks, for showing us how you live your life with your three boys out there in Chiba. 
And yeah, I hope um, the listeners out there that you got something from that. Yeah, so please pop over to the podcast club. You can find the link for that in the show notes. Come and join us. Let me know your um, your any feedback. Please let me know who you'd love to hear from next. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Actually, I have an interview with Kimberly coming up soon, and you might be wondering who Kimberly is. So you will hear more about that in the next week or two. I've had an interview with her and yeah, more solo interviews from me coming up. But if you do have someone you'd love to hear from, or if you'd like to volunteer yourself, please raise your hand, step forward. I'd love to talk to you on the podcast here. Um, you know, recently Laura herself, I said at the start, um, she, she actually didn't want to be on the podcast. I asked her because she was my assistant, um, a while back and helped me to get some um, strategies and things set up for this podcast. And I said, would you like to be on the podcast? And she was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but then after like, it was like several months later, she was like, oh, actually, I think I'd like to give it a go. So, you know, even if you've thought about it before, and was like a big no. It doesn't mean that you're still a big no. So have another think about it and and decide if you'd like to, to come on. And then just um, send me a message, even if you don't have a business, even if you, you know, you, you don't think that you have anything to share, I would disagree with that. That's for sure. Everybody has something that's interesting. And even, even the most thing, you know, that it tends to be the things that, um, you think are the most, you know, special to you are actually the things that are the most general and that most, people are also going through or couldn't learn from as well okay so please do get in touch with me I can't wait to hear from you um definitely the episodes where you know I'm interviewing women who are living in Japan are the most popular ones I have to say so yeah I'd love to have more guests um like that here on the podcast so thank you so much for listening as always and I'll see you again soon bye bye みなさんこんにちは。今日のインタビューはローラさんでした。マルシマローラさんですね。オーストラリア出身で、あの旦那はもちろん日本人です。千葉千葉県に住んでますね。なんか東京都の近くのあの坊だの近くに住んでるらし
の話とかどういうふうにあの上手にやるのかとかあのどんなルールがあるのかとか話して結局各学校が違うなって気づきましたね私の子供が通ってる学校と千葉県にあるローラさんの子供たちの学校がまあまあ違うので今気づいてあの娘の学校のことをちょっとありがたいなと<笑>思,うようにあの思うようになったんですね。なんか各学年の PTA 役員10人って言ってましたね。あの10人の役があって、うん、多いですね。うん、えまあその,その後あのローラさんは何ていうの,あの家族あの旦那の家族が隣に住んでるって言ってたんですね。なので子供のおじいちゃんおばあちゃんが本当に隣に住んでてあのその関係はどうなるのかとかあのどういうふうに上手にその関係を作るのかとか子供もいるしあのでローラさんのアドバイスの一つがあって面白いなと思いました。でもしかしかて日本人の皆さんはしてるかもしれないんですけど、外国人の目線,目線から、あの、ちょっと、ああ、それ、そうやればいいのにねって思うようにですね。で、それは、あの、その、義理お母さんの言うことを、あの、そう、そうかもねとか、そう、そうだよねとか、そうかもしれないねとか、みたいな答えをして、で、自分のやりたいことをやる。<笑>なのであの、もし意見が違ってても、あの相手の,そのお母さん、義理お母さんの意見を聞きましたよっていうみたいな言葉を言って、自分のやり,かやりたい通りであの、やりたい通りでやるっていう。<笑>で、外国人の目線から、いやいやいやいや、そうではないよとか。ね、喧嘩になりやすいんですね。あのもう反対のことを言ったりしまうと。でも、まあ、日本人はもしかしてしてるかもしれないですね。その相手の言うことを、はいはいはいはいって言いながら自分の言いたいことを言うんですね。なので、私も今度やってみようかなと思いました。それは、あの<笑>いいことの勉強になりました。ローラさんはもう仕事があって、子供たちの作家とか PTA もやってるので、どういうふうにあの時間を上手に使うんですかって聞いたら、なんかすごくいろいろプランニングしてますね。特に食事、あの1週間分の食事を細かくプランニングして、日曜日に買っといて、あの毎日お昼を作るときに夕ご飯も作るって言ってたんですね。なので1回だけ料理をして、あのもう夕ご飯ができてあるあのなので子どもたちが帰ってきたら夕ご飯もでき,ますできてあるのであの子どもたちの,の行事とかあればもう遅く遅くまで起きてないでローラさんの家族のスケジュールを聞くと私たちの私の家族と似てるんですね。でも、日本の一般的の家族のスケジュールとちょっと違いますね。あの子供たちがやっぱり早く寝てますって言って
、あの、上の子が8時半までにベッドに入ってるんですね。で、あの、たまに行、なんか、行事があって、あの、そこ、その早くベッドに入れないんですけど、下の子供たちはもう7時とか7時半とかにベッドに入ってるんですね。で、一般の日本人の家庭はもうこ、9時になっても子供たちはまだベッドに入ってないの多いので、お母さんたちは自分の時間がね、一日中何にもないので、あの、私とオロラはもう子供早く寝させて、早く起きてても、もう一晩寝たらもう向き合うのはできるんですね。でも夜遅くになったらもう、あの、みんな疲れてるから早く寝た方がいいですね。で,<笑>でも早く寝、寝ちゃうと、あの、早く夕ご飯作らないといけないんですね。早くお風呂入らないといけないんですね。だから早く家にいないといけないんですね。で、うちらの場合は、できれば5時までに家にいます。で、私は5時半になったらもう夕ご飯作ってるんですね。で、6時に食べてる。6時半にお風呂。上の息子が7時に寝る。で、その上あ、上の息子、あの、たった一人、<笑>一人の息子しかいないんですけど、息子が4歳で7時に寝る。で、たまにもう7時の前でももう寝ちゃいそうな顔をしているので、あの、早く寝たいって自分から言うんですよ。で、上の子が 8, 8歳になるんですけど、まだ7歳で、7時45分までにベッドに入ってますね。多分8時に寝てる。で、まあまあ疲れてるんですね。その時間帯に寝てる。でも、でも私の子供は眠くないっていうお母さんの意見もあるんですけど、でも、私から見ると、子供たちは元気じゃなくて、もう、あの、元気から眠いより、ね、また眠く,眠くないに乗り越えちゃったんですよね。なので、眠くないって言ってしまって、でも、実は、眠いを乗り越えちゃったんですよ。もう眠いの間に寝た方がいいですね。でも、基本的に、その、あの、例えば、5時、五時頃に寝てしまったとか、そういう時間帯にすごく眠いんですよね、子供たちは。あの、多分テレビの見てる間に寝てしまったとか、車移動の間に寝てしまったとか、9時までに起きてしまうとか、そういうのがよく聞きますね。あと、あの、子供たちはもちろん自分から眠くない眠くないって言うんですよ。それを無視した方がいいですね。あの、もうスケジュールが大事です。と思います。なので、なるべく早く寝さして、自分、お母さんは自分の時間も増やすようになった方がいいですね。で、あの、まあ、明日から、7時に、あの、今まで9時に寝た子が7時に寝るっていうのはちょっと難しいので、少しずつ、あの、毎日10分でも早く寝さして。でもお母さんは、特にお母さんは、あの、自分のスケジュールも大事ですよね。なので、夕ご飯は、あの、もう用意してある。あとね、で、6時半からお風呂っていうのは守らないとならないんですよね。なので、スケジュール、子供のスケジュール一番大事にした方がうまくいくと思います。で、もちろん習い事とか、遅くまで習い事をやってる子供がいると思うんですね。
あの私の意見はその遅い習い事はし,しないこと<笑>ですねあの特になんかプールプールから7時に帰るとかそう,そういうのはすごく、まあ、ちっちゃい子にとってはすごく疲れるので別にあの遅い習い事はしませんあの家族の決まりですねあのできれば上の8歳になる娘が8時までに寝させるっていうのは。でもうちょっと大きくなるとあのただ7時45分にベッドに入れなさいっていうのは言うようになるんですね。でローラさんも同じこと言ったんですけどあの子供をを寝るまで面倒見なくてもいいんですねって<笑>あの。7時45分までに一緒に行って、その後、はい、自分の部屋に行って読みたい本を読んで、8時半になったらあのライトを消し,消しに行きますっていうルールがあるんですね。なので皆さんもやってみてください。もうあの最後の最後まであの子供たちと一緒に過ごさなくても子供たちが自分だけであの落ち着くこと本読んだり、ね、静かになんかあの例えば、まあ、レゴをやってもいいと思うんですけどあの部屋でベッドでやってその後あのぐっすり寝れると思います。はいそういう話でしたローラさんは千葉,の千葉県であの頑張ってますね。すごいね、あの子供3人でビジネスもあって、あの皆さん、あのまあ、必要かどうかわからないんですけど、もしローラさんのサポートが必要だったら、ぜひ連絡して、とてもフレンドリーな方で、あの日本に住んでる起業家とかあの、ビジネスを持っている方のサポートをしているので、どうぞあのローラさんを使ってください。Okay, that's all for today. See you next time. Bye bye.